Father, thank you for the grace of God that rests upon us all. Thank you for the word of God that burns in our heart. You've put it there. We ask for more. We ask, Lord, for your word to burn like that fire shut up in our hearts that must be expressed. To be like the hammer that breaks every hard rock within us and around us. Thank you for the power of the word of God. Thank you for the authority of Jesus Christ, whose word when we speak has authority in us and flows from us. You've said we're the light of the world. Oh, I thank you. We put our faith in you, O Lord, that the world around us would be all the more enlightened, all the more changed by your power, by the gospel. Lord, change us today and let the word go deep to every heart today. Holy Spirit, come be our teacher and grant us understanding, the riches of grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody, and a big welcome to Sally Maxwell over here and baby Charlotte. Well, maybe. So where, Sally slipped out right, as you do with babies, not right there, somewhere else. <laughs> anyway, big welcome, Sally. Big welcome to Charlotte, newest member of the church. How's that? And uh, we thank the Lord for them and for his grace in giving us uh, every blessing as he does. Anybody here with long COVID? Now, I, I managed day two ago to hear from Lisa right here that she had COVID early in the year, but still, you know, funny little things and a cough and whatnot. Prayed for a Friday night. I want to get a report back and I'll pray for you again this morning. Anybody else with lingering stuff? It may be, may be left over from COVID, but who can prove it, you know? Uh, no hands. We're doing pretty good if there's no hands. Not even your hand. Anyway, <laughs> there's probably a few other things. Come to the end of this message, I want to pray over that some more and any other lingering thing. Is there anybody who has a you know, personal healing? Let's get, get you down here. Let's, let's pray and believe God shift some things today. So, dear friends, uh, Bible reading, first of all, from Matthew 1. This is a classic little piece of uh, the Christmas story. We're in the first Sunday of Advent. There'll be four, and the fourth falls on a Christmas day. I'm doing this one. I think David's doing the rest, not sure. But um, Advent, you know, wonderful time. The, the coming of our Lord Jesus. God always said he wanted to live amongst us, and so on and so forth. So here we are, Matthew 1. Put the words up for me, please. Here it is. Read with me. Everybody read out loud this little piece. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Praise God. We're going to talk about the name or the meaning of the name of Jesus, or who is Jesus today, the, the name Jesus actually means Jehovah is salvation. If you use the old language or more modern language which some people want to use, Yahweh saves. In other words, 
the divine name. What is known as the divine name? The, the name that was in the Old Testament, which early on the Jews used to speak, the name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. By the way, that, that name in Hebrew is only four letters, four consonants, Y-H-W-H. -H. Nobody knows how to say it. Nobody knows what the vowel sounds are that you put there. Yahweh is not the name. Y-H-W-H is known as the Tetragameton, which means four letters, and, but that's the technical name. And at first they used to speak it. There are early verses where somebody would walk up and, and say to somebody else now, and they'd say the name, you know, it's all recorded in the Bible. But as time went on, the Jews considered it far too holy to say, and so they would say something else. And, and um, it was never pronounced, and so in the course of time, they totally lost track of how you did pronounce it, so nobody to this day knows. And they even got to the stage where they wouldn't even write it, they'd put four dots instead or something else. And everybody knew what it was, but no, this was the divine name. Now, what does it mean? Uh, when you know the meaning, you might think, well, that's not a name. The, the meaning is, I am who I am. Really, to me, it was more of a mystery. It's the, it was the latest and most wonderful revelation of God they had, the special thing that Moses carried to the children of Israel. I am who I am. No, this, this was a mystery name. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to tell you about was, well, well, here's what has been bugging me a little bit. In recent times, and I mean by recent times, I mean recent years, we've had more and more songs that, that come out written probably by younger songwriters wanting to write a great song but no, not really knowing much about the Bible. And so you, you see some funny things written at times, but I've also noticed how often this word Yahweh comes up and we're, you know, we're supposed to hear and worship Yahweh. But to me, it's a nonsense thing. And, and there was one recently that was really silly, and it said, Yahweh sent his son. So now it's the name for the father. And, and this is just not so. And uh, we, we've managed to see something different. So look, I thought, well, we need to address it again. Uh, what does that name mean? And, and of the Godhead, you know, how is it used in Scripture and what are we left with today? And uh, why was it such a mystery name and so on? So here's the first thing you need to know because you are readers of the Bible and the Bible you read is written in English. There are lots of translations. There are lots of good translations, but the, it's an English translation. You won't be reading Hebrew generally. If you were reading the Hebrew, you would read YHWH in lots of places, perhaps, but not if you were reading the Septuagint, which uh, 500 or so years, uh, perhaps less than that, before Jesus was born, 70 or 72 of the world's greatest Hebrew scholars, all Jewish leaders, met in Alexandria and translated all the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And that translation is known as the Septuagint. Septuagint, Septuagint part means 70. And so the, the Jewish people ended up with a Greek translation. Do you know why? The whole world was being Hellenized. If you don't know what Hellenized means, it means Greekified. Greek culture went everywhere. The Roman, Roman Empire was Greek culture. And 
don't think that Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee were not Hellenized. They were in Jerusalem. There were Greek-speaking synagogues. In the early church, there was a problem because the, the uh, Aramaic-speaking widows were getting looked after better than the Greek-speaking widows. And that, that's why you had deacons and Stephen and all those stories. No, the culture uh, that, that Jesus came to, and it was the right timing, had, had been Hellenized and Romified, and there were reasons. It was to put into the whole of the Roman Empire a common language and uh, law and order, and all the circumstances were right for the gospel to spread and spread in a language that could really communicate. Now, in this, by the way, the early church mainly used the Greek translation of the scriptures, not Hebrew. And um, the, all the early leaders, you know, were, they all had to speak Greek to some degree. Peter was rough with his Greek. Paul was a smooth, polished Greek speaker. Paul was trilingual, by the way. And um, so you, you had a setting in, into which the Greek language... Look, if the gospel was going to go anywhere, it had to ride on the back of the Greek language. The Lord saw to it that hundreds of years before, all the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek. And this was the official Jewish version of the Old Testament, now in Greek. And a, a practice began with respect to translating the Tetragrammaton, the four letters, Y-H-W-H. And that practice has been continued in your English translations. So remember, it began with the Jewish Hebrew experts. And that was to translate Y-H-W-H as Lord. So in Greek, the word is Kyrios. And the word Kyrios, which is for Y-H-W-H all through the Old Testament, in the New Testament is the word now addressed to Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus. The most common designation for Jesus all through the New Testament, especially all through the epistles, is Lord and is drawn directly from the Old Testament translation of Y-H-W-H. Yahweh is Jesus. Now, that might sound strange or alarming to some, but we will begin to prove it. And, uh, but let me take you, first of all, oh, by the way, by the way, yes, I meant to say, as English readers, you will come across the word Lord in a few versions, a, a few different presentations, just in your everyday reading. To start with, you'll, you'll see various places where the Lord is all lowercase. In other words, no capital L for Lord. That's re always referring to people. So owners of property, owners of slaves. There's lots of ways in which the word Lord is used. Just like in English too, we talk about, you know, the house of Lords in England. Everybody knows you're not talking about God. It's just that words always have lots of meaning. The word house has lots of meaning. You know, uh, we talk about the, uh, the royal house. You can, you can talk about the house of David. You can talk about your, the house you live in. Your house is your family. Your house, your, the house of David, by the way, is his long descendants of kings over centuries. No, how, so there's lots and lots of words in every language that have lots of meanings. And we have no trouble figuring out what we mean. And it's the same with the word Lord. It has lots of meanings. And whenever you read in the Bible, the lowercase is not talking about God. But where it's capitalized, ah, behind that are various terms for God. 
So if you see the word Lord in your Bible with a capital L, but then lowercase o-r-d, it'll be the translation of a word like Adonai. But if you see, ah, but if you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in four capitals, but it'll be a big, a big capital L and then a, a smaller capital O, capital R, capital D, behind that word is Y-H-W-H, the divine name, and guess what? In the Old Testament, there are over 6,000 of those. Over 6,000. In other words, that name is everywhere. However, the, the name doesn't come up in the first chapter of the Bible, but it does come up in the second. I wanted to show you these two verses. First of all, Genesis 2.4. Take a look quickly at this. Got to go very fast through these scriptures. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in that day, the Lord God. See it there? Capitals. That's what you'll read in your Bibles. And when you see that, you know, ah, behind that are the four letters. Y-H-W-H. And um, however, if you go back to Genesis 1-1, here instead it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Behind the word God is not Y-H-W-H. Behind the word God is another word, Elohim, which is, was the Hebrew name for God, but it implied plurality. It implied multiple persons. The Hebrew and Judaism originally didn't really have a problem with the, the idea of multiple persons, um, God and the angel of the Lord and various ways in which God would show himself, manifest himself, turn up in different ways. They had no problem with that. This idea of monotheism, actually that term was invented by the Enlightenment just you know, short two, three hundred years ago and was applied back in retrospect to all these things, but in fact this this rigid monotheism that Judaism has today and Islam has today where there's only one God and he has no son, that, it, that all has occurred since the time of Jesus in those religions that resisted the ongoing revelation that we have. Originally, the you know, Hebrew society did not resist that idea and it was a natural transition for believing Jews in that day to immediately come to grips with the fact that Jesus was God and um, that he was, he was Yahweh in the flesh. So, um, the name then, I am who I am, being a mystery, why? It's because the mystery, the New Testament tells us the mystery of Christ had not yet been revealed. The mystery of Christ, what was the mystery of Christ? Actually, that the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus was not just for Jews that Christ was for all of humanity and the gospel to go out of all and the dividing wall of hostility broken down and those who were near the Jews, they were fudging, all could come. They, they were one in God's eyes and so on and so forth. The mystery of Christ, but also the mystery of just who this Messiah was. So anyway, with that bit of background, I wanted to show you some things that are actually in the Bible and working from um, some of the things that are that are more of the riddles and you put the bits together through to some of the things that are so clear, so graphic and we, we try and do this in a timely manner but it is interesting. And let me tell you, after just going through this in my mind and listing these things, oh, I, I came out so much cleaner and clearer in prayer. I think if you'll take this, this understanding upon your hearts, no, it bring, believe me, it brings some liberty, freedom with it. So, there's a place in the Gospels where Jesus 
poses a riddle, but leaves it hanging. He doesn't give the answer to the riddle. But you've got to understand the timing of it and the context. The timing was it of it was in the days leading up to his crucifixion, and it has a big context. Matthew's gospel is so interesting that there's a whole bunch of chapters which if you, if you kind of step back and look at all that goes on, you see, oh, it's one big thing. And so there's a whole bunch of things that happen. He, he heals the man born blind. He raises Lazarus from the dead. There's the triumphal entry. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in that week. It finally leads up to him pronouncing all these woes on the Pharisees. Then he gives all that information about the destruction of Jerusalem. Then he gives all that information about being ready for the coming of the Lord. And then lo and behold, you get the Last Supper, you get Gethsemane, you get the trials, you get the, the cross, you get the resurrection, and it's all one huge passage in a really short period of time. And whereas we tend to read a little bit, so we'll pull out a statement and we'll think of it out of context, but, but when you look at the context, it's astounding. So I'm going to show you a little context that led up to this riddle that Jesus posed, and he posed it to the Pharisees and all those who were with them, and they couldn't answer it. And he didn't answer it. He walked away. But there is a place where he gives us the answer in the Bible, if you know where to look. Anyway, here it is. Same gospel too, it was. However, so this triumphal entry, bear in mind the triumphal entry of Jesus was followed immediately by the cleansing of the temple. Now, th this is not the whole context, this is a piece of it. Put yourself in the place of the Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, Sanhedrin, high priests, scribes, lawyers, Herodians, and all of them hate his guts. He's more and more of a threat to them. They don't like the fact that he's getting the love and the attention of the people. They've got things going for them. They're making a lot of money out of the temple. And one of the things they're making a lot of money out is the money changing in the temple. You know why? The, the, coin, the coin of the day, of course, was Roman currency, and all of it had on it Caesar's head with Caesar as Lord printed on there. You weren't allowed to use this money in the temple. No, no idols, no images were allowed in there, certainly not this statement. And so you had to change your money to temple money, and with temple money you could then buy the things you needed to make offerings, because if you'd made long journeys, you couldn't carry with you will bring with you bulls and goats and sheep and pigeons and all the stuff. So the idea was bring bags of money, get to Jerusalem, buy the stuff you needed. Ah, but the trick is you better buy this stuff. Now you've got to buy the special stuff that's at the temple and you better buy it with the special temple money. So mega bucks are being made, right, in all of this. And that's a nice little bit of background too. So put yourself in the mind of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly there's this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus reading, riding on the donkey and the crowd singing, all the children singing, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, son of David. Not only was this like big red rag to a, to a bull to all these Pharisees and Sadducees, but he no sooner gets into Jerusalem and he makes a whip now you know why he kicked over the tables of all the money changers. You've turned my house into a den of thieves. Well, guess who are pocketing half the money? And then he drives out all the sellers of the animals. You know, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer. 
<laughs> you think he didn't upset the establishment. And that is the background to what I'm now going to show you in the gospel, under your nose, all along. They come to question his authority. All right, so quickly now. Here's what happens. First of all, and now they've colluded, all these people, they've colluded, how are we going to get him? So first of all, they send along the chief priests and elders. All this is one big day. Chief priests and elders, and they say to him, by what authority do you do these things? In other words, who gives you the authority to, to kick over these tables and drive out the animals? Who gives you the authority to come in Jerusalem and receive all that worship? So he replies, but he replies with a question. He says, well, I'll ask you a question. You answer that one and then I'll tell you by what authority. He says, John the Baptist, did it come from heaven or men? Well, they were trapped because they, couldn't, they didn't dare say. Because didn't matter which answer they gave, they were in trouble. So they said, oh, we don't know. He said, well, I'm not going to tell you either. But having said, I won't answer your question, he goes on to tell a parable. And the parable is the parable of the two sons. One said he'd work in the vineyard and he didn't. The other said he, would, but he wouldn't, but he did. Which one did the father's will? And they answered, oh, this one. He said, yeah, well, that's why the sinners and the tax collectors are going into the kingdom of God and you're not, because you didn't believe John. When John preached, they repented. When John preached, you didn't repent. And even when you saw they repented, you didn't change your mind. So he, he, was, he was answering them back quite strongly every time, but didn't stop there. He told another parable. This is the parable of the tenants, and this is how you know, someone said, now they knew darn well. The Old Testament, Isaiah says, God planted a vineyard, and the vineyard was Israel, but it didn't produce fruit. Now Jesus tells a parable, ah, you know, Man planted a vineyard and he put tenants in. They were called tenants in the Old Testament. Put tenants in, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't give the owner the share of his fruit. So he sent servants, they killed him. He sent his son, they killed him. What do you think he'll do? Well, he'll burn their city and give the vineyard to someone else. He's saying this straight out to them. And, and look at the scripture. Uh, well, Matthew 21, 31, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness. You didn't believe him. And then um, further down, Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? Now, he was the stone they were rejecting has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, look at this blunt statement. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Well, this is what happened next. Matthew 21, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, so the Pharisees were over listening. See, they sent the chief priests and the elders, but the Pharisees are all listening in. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was talking about them. They knew it. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Ah, so then Jesus tells another parable. The parable of the wedding feast, the invited wouldn't come. Then Matthew 22, 8, they, and then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Therefore, go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. Ah, well, that was stage one. Stage two is this. 
the, the scribes and the elders didn't win their battle with Jesus. So now the Pharisees send along some of their disciples and some Herodians trying to trap Jesus. So this time, the question is about paying taxes. Now that you know what I told you before about the Roman coin and what had to happen at the temple with money, you'll understand this a bit more, a trap for Jesus. So the disciples of the Pharisees, the Herodians say, tell us then what you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? He's pretty blunt to their faces. They're trying to trap him, but he is, um, he's very, look, Jesus is clever. The Lord is not only infinitely wise, he is very smart, very clever. The, the, the Lord you walk with is astoundingly intelligent and in lots of practical ways. That's why it does you good to listen to him listen to him no matter what he says why put me to the test show me the coin for the tax here's where he's going to turn it back on them oh he says whose head is this in other words who supplied the coin oh Caesar said okay well give to Caesar give, give to Caesar what is Caesar's give to God what is God's reminds you a bit of that Monty Python skit you remember that you know what, what have the Romans done for us remember the head that's kind of <laughs> setting was in Jerusalem at that time. What have the Romans done for us? Some of the crowd says, aqueducts. Oh, okay, aqueducts. But aside from aqueducts, what have the Romans done for us? Roads. Oh, all right. Aside from aqueducts and roads, what have the Romans ever done for us? And so it goes on. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Anyway, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. And look at Matthew 22, 22. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Now listen, this was just the disciples of the Pharisees and the Rodians. We're not done yet. We go to stage three. Scripture actually says, the same day, the Sadducees, well, this is another crowd, and they come in Matthew 22, 33, and um, um, the Sadducees come now, they're, they're testing him with a question about the resurrection, because this crowd don't believe in the resurrection. And he answers them astoundingly. Look at, look at what happens here, verse 33. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. But they're not done. Finally, you know, the Pharisees have sent everybody else along. Now they think, well, better bring out the big gun. So the Pharisees come. This is the fourth round, all on the same day. We read this bit. The Pharisees gathered to test him out. So uh, Matthew 22:34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, smart Alec lawyers, you know what? <laughs> well, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So anyway, there's obviously lots of interesting detail. We don't have time to go into it. When when these four phases get through. This is where Jesus says, all right, I've got a question for you. And he poses a riddle. They can't answer it. And he doesn't answer it. Are you ready for the riddle? Verse, chapter 22, 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. 
Now verse 43, 45 has the riddle. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? They couldn't answer the question. They genuinely couldn't answer this question. It wasn't one of these where they knew the answer but couldn't let on. No, they didn't know the answer and Jesus wasn't telling them. We know the answer. Now, if we jump to another gospel for a minute, the same event, that's Matthew, the same event referred to in John comes out with a bit of information in it that we don't otherwise have. So jump to John 85, uh, eight, chapter 853. In these long discussions, something else had got said, and here it is. The Pharisees say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Because Jesus had just said to them, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Are you greater than our father Abraham died, who died and the prophets died? Who do you make it? See, here's the question. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who, who are you? Who are you saying you are? Here's, here's Jesus' answer. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Here's Jesus' reply in verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Where's the I am come from? Y-H-W-H, I am who I am. It's been obvious to me for a long time that a lot of things that are said and done by God in the Old Testament were said and done by Jesus. Burning bush, Jesus. Sending Moses to Egypt, the Lord Jesus. Dealings with Noah, Abraham. Dealings with, you know, three men come to talk to Abraham. Two of them are angels, the other one is the Lord, it's Jesus. Dealings with Adam and Eve. Dealings with David, Solomon, Jesus. Yahweh is Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't answer the riddle there, but Matthew, now see that came up in Matthew 22. But for us, follow who follow later, in the very next chapter, and only his disciples heard it, only the apostles heard it, and wrote it down, and we hear it, Jesus answers the question, who do you make yourself out to be? You ready? Verse 37 of 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I, I, this is Jesus speaking, how often would I have gathered your children together? Listen, the prophet Isaiah bringing the word of the Lord, the word of Jesus. Jeremiah bringing the word of the Lord, the word of Jesus. How often would I? have gathered you, but you would not. It gets more astounding 
in that in the New Testament, especially by Paul, lots of places by Paul, Paul will take a scripture that in the Old Testament talks about YHWH. In other words, names, names the divine name, has says something about this God by divine name, by Yahweh, quotes it in the New Testament and puts Jesus in it. Jesus becomes the, the refer, referent, that is the person being referred to by the scripture and this happens over and over. I'll give you just a couple of examples because of the limitation of time here. But so, so here's an example. Uh, we, we lead up to it in a moment. First of all, uh, the little bracket of three scriptures here we're going to show you. So first of all, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place... Now, now look at the phrase, call upon the name of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this was call upon the name of YHWH, the divine name. Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So let me, that's just an introductory one. Here are the two to compare. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, do you notice the capitals? Notice up there the capitals? L O R D? You seen what I'm seeing? Yep. See four capitals? What's the word behind that? What's the Hebrew? Y H W H. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, for in Mount Zion in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. Okay, come now to Romans 10, 9, 13. You'll see how this scripture is quoted and Jesus is put in. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, for with the heart one believes justified, with the mouth one confesses as he's saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for he is the same Lord, uh, is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Who are we talking about? Jesus. And he quotes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He is saying straight out, the Yahweh spoken of by Joel is the Yahweh of your salvation who died on the cross. As if this is not clear enough, but there's enough Bible material to run for a month of preaching on this. I've got just a couple of minutes. So here's, here's one more. Philippians 2, verse 9 to 10. Let's now work from the new to the old. In Philippians 2, we read this. Therefore God has exalted him. Who did God exalt? We know it, Jesus. And bestowed on him, upon whom? Jesus. The name, what? That is above every name. Well, right there, that should give the game away. But so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Where does this come from? Here we go. Isaiah 45, a little bit longer passage, but it's all in here. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Now, this, by the way, is Yahweh speaking. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? Right there, see the capitals, four capitals? And there is no other God beside me, 
a righteous God and a saviour, there is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. Look at this, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. To whom? Every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess Jesus. Now, most astounding of all, most remarkable, in the New Testament, Paul reworks the Shema. Now, the Shema is that one little part of the Old Testament that more than other, all the Jews confessed as their core article of faith because they held to it, because they clung to it, all the torture in the world would not, not they would refuse to declare Jesus is Lord, as the, uh, Caesar is Lord, as the Christians did later. They would suffer torture rather than let, let Caesar is Lord come out of their mouth because there is only one Lord. And so for the Jews, the Shema, what's called the Shema comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Put that up on the screen. You've, you've heard this over and over. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must have heard that over and over. This is what Jewish people say all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was the most sacred statement to all Jews, and Paul took it and worked into it, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's astounding. That it's remarkable. That, that this could happen. Here, here it is in, in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. By the way, that statement called the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is written without verbs. And, what, and that's hard to translate. And then what Paul did in the New Testament when he reworked it, he re reworked it without verbs. And it's hard to translate. Scripture's amazing. Here's the statement as we read it in English where Paul says, yet for us there is one God. Do you remember? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. He, re he reworks it. For us there is one God, and he puts in the Father. From whom all things are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. And now when you read the New Testament, you see Paul writes everywhere, you know, and... Grace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this reworked Shema. You're, you're richer than you know as believers. Here's, here's, here's an astounding statement. First of all, the Bible verse behind it. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. You're familiar with this out of the gifts of the Spirit uh, passage. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God. So you've got, you've got Spirit, you've got Lord, you've got God. This is the Holy Trinity, with Jesus here being called, not Son, but Lord. And, and upon this, I came across the most interesting statement in the, in the commentary section of the ESV Bible. If you've got an English Standard Version, well, there's, you can get an ESV commentary. And it, it gave this piece of information. Now, now, this is the bit I want you to hear and try, and try and remember. They say the most common pattern in the New Testament epistles. Now, this is Romans, right, all the way through to the epistles of John and Jude. This is the, the epistles. 
the most common pattern in all of these epistles is to refer to God the Father with the word theos, in Greek theos that is God, which happened to be the way, remember the Septuagint, the 70 scholars who translated the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek scriptures hundreds of years before Jesus, they did the same thing wherever uh, they, they took the word Elohim, which is the word you get for God in the first chapter of the Bible, and it occurs elsewhere, Elohim, and they, they translated that as Theos. Theos is the Greek word that in your English Bible is then translated God. So the most common pattern in the New Testament scriptures is referred to God the Father as God, and to refer to God the Son with the word Lord, Greek Kyrios, which is used in the Septuagint over 6,000 times to translate the Old Testament Hebrew name Yahweh. I don't know where you, you took that in. The New Testament pattern, following the pattern of the Septuagint, any reference to God becomes God the Father. Any reference to Yahweh becomes God the Son in the pattern of translation. In other words, in your New Testament where you read Lord Jesus Christ, this is following the pattern of translating in the Septuagint Yahweh to Lord. Anyway, we're, we're nearly done with what I have here today. One more little thing. Uh, now, by the way, examples of Paul taking Old Testament verses that talk about Yahweh, rewriting them in the New Testament about Jesus, they, they are bound. There's numbers of those, and we haven't had time to look at more of them. But just one more thing I want to show you. And that is a few scriptures that show us that Jesus, the Son, is God. So first of all, God calls him God. John calls him God. Paul calls him God. Peter calls him God. There's more. This four should suffice. So first of all, God calls the Son God. There's still a Father and a Son. We're talking two persons. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. You don't even understand yourself. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. But of the Son, look at it, straight up says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of right, uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. All right, we go to John 1, 18. This is the Gospel of John. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We go to Paul, Romans 9, 5. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Well, why would you object to the name Yahweh being all about Jesus? And Peter, 
1 and 2, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteous, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Yahweh. Those two verses together put in both forms. It's lovely, isn't it? And as always, there's more. Look, in closing, may I say, there's a whole lot of titles and designations and descriptions in the Old Testament of Yahweh. And in the New Testament, they're repeated about Jesus. There's about 36 of those. For example, Old Testament, Yahweh is our shepherd, use Jesus, New Testament, Jesus is our shepherd. Old Testament, Yahweh is the light of the world. New Testament, Jesus is the light of the world. And on and on and on. All we lack is more knowledge of the Bible. Dear friends, so look, don't anymore be sucked in with the need. Look, the occasional reference to Yahweh in, in songs, I can put up with that. But this common occurrence where you're singing Yahweh, 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 to me, it is such nonsense when... There is one name given under heaven by which we must be saved, and it's the lovely name of Jesus. Now, in different languages, Jesus comes out differently. In Hebrew, it is Yeshua, which when we speak English, we say Joshua, the Lord saves, Joshua. In English, of course, Jesus, I've been in the most terrible situations, almost as good as dead, and you can call out, Jesus! An instant change. Sometimes it takes that much, that much aggression in your prayers. I've had my life saved. The name of Jesus proved pretty powerful there. I didn't have to use Hebrew form. Didn't have to use the Old Testament mystery form of, I am whoever you are, please, you know. I know who he is. More to the language of the coastal peoples up in Papua New Guinea. All, they're, they're the people with the really big hair, you know, if they let it grow. I sometimes think the Crossleys are descended from Papuans because, you know, one of the kids is a bit of a throwback. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but, but listen, they can sing beautifully. Can you sing? Yeah. Uh, but, but their language more to, so hard to learn, but their name for Jesus in that language is Yesu. You spell it I-E-S-U, Yesu. I always thought it was the most beautiful name, most beautiful version of the name, Yesu. Yeah? Now, you wouldn't relate to it, but I was there hearing them sing, hearing them pray. I imagine, I mean, Yeshua, that does nothing for me, but then I haven't lived amongst people who pray in Hebrew. And probably it'd grab me if I did. And so on and so forth. But in English, Jesus rings bells for us. There is no other name given among, uh, among men under heaven by which we must be saved in whatever form. Because it seems, it's pretty apparent, he answers. He answers in the name that by which you know the Son of God who went to the cross for you. All right, so just clearing up mysteries, I hope, but it's astounding 
when you come to grips with the fact that the Old Testament Hebrew scholars knew language well enough to cause YHWH to end up as Lord, same pattern continued all through the New Testament for Christ, the Lord of glory. So there you are. Um, and it makes sense because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all involved in creation, all involved in watching over the Word of God, all involved in your salvation. But in particular, the revelation of God that is made to us is made through the Son. Jesus said, no one comes to me and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. All judgment has been given to the Son, and it is the Son of God who has been made the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, the Lord of the living, the Lord of the dead, the Lord of the now, the Lord of the future. He is Lord of all. So when you say Jesus is Lord, it's a big deal. And so he is Lord of all, but for us, he is the head of the church. We are his body. We are, thank God. Thank God. Get the band to come. And um, we give him all the glory. We sang not long before I came up here. We give him all the glory. And um, come let us adore him, I think it went on to. We're going to sing that again. But if, if anyone today, uh, you want to stand before the Lord and, tap into his grace. You know, a bit like the lady who pressed in the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. Well, it's garment touching time, really, because he's present, he's here. Come and stand here in this little patch that's been left uh, without seats. Everybody here seems to love a front row. We need more front rows, so we should put another one in there, another one in there. <laughs> no, kidding. But anyway. So look, if you need to touch the hem of his garment today, you need a healing. Now, Lisa, you're gonna come, be a good example. I don't care whether you're healed already or not. Right there in the center, we're long COVID we're not interested in and look if you've got something more serious it's fine too you come you know like whatever it is uh, we are together going to believe for your health and well-being the strengthening of your body the lengthening of your life the enriching of the grace you've already got to him as will more be given the improvement of your health the empowering of your prayers. In every way, may the Lord touch you. By stripes we are healed. You remember that verse that says, upon him the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. We find it easy to believe for that, oh yeah, sins are forgiven. But he also said, by uh, his stripes we are healed and it wasn't just he, he carried our iniquities. There's another word that starts with I. Also spoken of the prophet in that same passage, he carried our infirmities. And that word infirmity means any weakness or sickness of mind or body. Infirmities. So you, you bring your infirmities mind or body so whether you're weak in 
in the body or in, or in, in you know, in faith or in feeling oppressed or whatever. No, no, we're going to bring it all across to Jesus today. Remember he's Lord. He's Lord of all. Con confess his name over all your circumstances. Father, I thank you for those who are standing here, who by standing express their faith once again in our Lord Jesus. We place our faith there, every one of us today. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you who are the Lord of heaven and earth and of the living and the dead, you're our Lord and in a very personal way because you have made us your own. And so I pray for every one of these standing here before you today, needing you to touch them, whether in the body or in, in emotions or in the health and the strength of their mind or whatever it may be. Lord, these dear ones need your touch. And I thank you that you've made provision for it. Everybody in the house, believe me now, believe with me now for their healing. Lord, I thank you that you've made provision because you've said that through your divine promises, you have, you have given us, you provided for us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the one that says, by his stripes we're healed. And the one that says, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. For the one that says he sent his word and healed them. For the one that says, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He heals all your diseases. And so many other promises. And Lord, we stand in your presence today and seek to take hold of you. We take a hold of your word, let your word live in us. I pray, Lord, that right now in the heart of every one of these standing here, that word would be alive and let the hand of Jesus rest on them now, right now. Every one of these, younger and older, and no matter whether the need is in, in the frame of the body or in the organs or the, in the blood, or in something carried in the body, some microbe, or some belief or some fear that needs to be eradicated, some ungodly belief carried from childhood that's not recognized but not been cleaned out. I thank you, Lord, that today you are an all-sufficient Savior. We thank you for salvation. Thank you for the meaning of that word, which, which means deliverance and healing, as well as being forgiven and saved in eternity. Thank you for the power of these things. And I ask the Lord that even now, uncorrupted, undiluted, and, and unresisted by the flesh and unbelief, your power would flow into every one of these standing here and even through them, beyond them, to their families and homes. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I place upon every one of you the name of the Lord and I place upon you the power of Christ to heal. And in Jesus' name I say, be healed. And so I rebuke sickness 
go. I cut off disease, go. I cut off infirmity in the body, go. I cut off long COVID, I cut off diabetes, I cut off heart conditions, cut off cancer, any potential cancer, we cut it all off. Any weakness in the body, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I release healing over joints and bones and marrow and blood and flesh over the organs of the body and into the very heart. Today we release the faith of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the, the working of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. I release to you in Jesus' name, Lord, restore them. Let it be that the members of the body today have vibrant good health. And Lord, I pray for every one of these, they shall recover. As, as James said, pray for one another that you may be healed prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and they shall recover. Lord, we, we take hold of that word today. Let recovery begin to take place right now. And not only for those standing here, but for every, any other struggle, any other ailment that may be in the body, in the families of our people. Thank you for healing right now. And Lord, we would add to that this prayer that you would touch today by the Spirit of Christ the hardness and the unbelief that is in the heart of anybody, any member of our families. Hardness, Lord, I pray it would melt. Unbelief would, you, would yield. Eyes would be opened. Hearts made tender. I ask you, Lord, today, by your great grace, remove the hardness, remove the unbelief. And we pray for those we've been praying for to come alive in Christ Jesus and turn to the faith, the faith that you've given, the faith of our Lord Jesus. So Lord, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's rise together and sing, shall we? Those words we had before, we give you all the glory. It's our Lord Jesus whom we worship. And um, we thank God for the triune name the holy name.